Um, as we're walking through this fast and, and as we're walking into 2023, you've heard over and over and over again that we need to prioritize the presence of God. And what I want to do is I kind of want to break that down a little bit because sometimes the presence of God is made out to be this huge thing that you're like, I don't think I want to go there or I don't have access to that. And there's two different extremes is that people that go there are whack. So I don't want to go to the presence of God. Or the other extreme is I haven't been living my life in a way that I should go anywhere near there. I saw what happened in the Old Testament. Those people died. <laughs> yeah, so we feel two extremes about the presence of God. But I want to kind of change our perception of what the presence of God really is. I want to change our idea of what it takes to access the presence of God. But I also want to change our idea of what it looks like to live a life walking in the presence of God. And so what we're going to look at is the value. Do we truly value the presence? But then we're going to look at some areas that maybe we've allowed or indicators that we've allowed the presence to become common in our lives. Because just like we just talked about with the name of Jesus, we can allow the presence of God to become common. We can allow approaching the presence of God. We can allow carrying the presence of God. We can allow these things to become common in our lives. And we don't want to do that. And we're going to find out why here in just a few minutes. We went um, snowboarding yesterday. And as we're up there snowboarding, so I, I have this board, okay? I, I love my snowboard. Like it's like my valued in pride. No one touches my snowboard. It stays in its special case that stays wiped out because we wouldn't want it to rust or sweat or so it stays clean. That snowboard stays waxed. That snowboard stays like prime condition. But here's why. Because I had a crummy snowboard in the past. Okay, like one of those that you, you, you could barely afford and you got the snowboard and your binding falls off every time you go down the mountain kind of thing, okay? I did not value that snowboard. I took care of it, did the best I could. Okay, but that thing, it was, it was a rough little, little guy. We did not have a great relationship. Okay, but this other snowboard that I got, okay, it was a very expensive board. I spent half of my life savings as a college student on it and ate nothing for a really long time so that I could have this particular snowboard, okay? I got the bindings that I wanted, and well, the bindings, really, they weren't anything special about them except they're called stilettos, and I feel like that fits my life, so that's really why I got those. So it's really personalized just to my soul, okay? So I got this snowboard, but I take care of that thing. We get on, like, if there, people ask, you wanna go snowboarding, November, early December? If there is not optimal snow on that mountain, no, my snowboard will not participate in unworthy conditions. It could get scratched. Like, no, and that's a real thing. I will rent before I take that thing where there's rocks and inadequate icy man-made snow, okay? Will not go. But in the fresh powdery conditions of yesterday, it was allowed to go. Okay, I take care of it. When I walk in to eat lunch, it gets locked to the giant bar that's stuck at the ground. I wouldn't want it to get stolen, okay? So you guys are like, she is overboard about the snowboard. Okay, why? I value that snowboard, which means I handle it a whole lot differently than I handle a lot of things that I don't see with equal value. A rented board? I should probably take care of as much as I would take care of my own, but I don't, okay? The, my old board, I did not take care of with this much value. When we value things, we handle them differently. When we value things, 
we're careful where we take them and where we don't. We, we are careful with who touches them and who doesn't, right? We're very careful with the things we value. If I were to hand you an empty envelope as a gift, you might do one thing with it. If I handed you an envelope with $1,000 in it, you're probably not going to leave it sitting on the chair after church. You're probably not going to throw it in the trash on your way out. Why? Because when we value something, it changes the way we handle that thing. Because I value my snowboard, it changes the way I value it. I don't let everybody bump into me. I don't let it just sit out in the sun and get all wilted and sad. It stays in prime conditions because I value it. It costs me something and I value it. So when we talk about the presence of God, my question is, does it look different than any other area of our lives? Is it the most valued things in our life? Do we handle it different than any other area? Because the presence of God is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. But here's the thing. Sometimes because we can't see it, my money gets taken better care of than the presence of God. My desires get better taken care of than the presence of God. My marriage, my family. Now, are those things important? Absolutely. But we can't be who we're supposed to be in our marriage outside of the presence of God. I can't handle my finances the way I need to handle them outside the presence of God. We can't raise kids the way that they need to be raised in the universe of who knows what's happening right now outside of the presence of God. We can't be in either manage or own or run or work for the business that we're a part of outside of the presence of God. So where in our lives does the value of the presence of God land in comparison to the value that we put on other things? Because the value of the presence of God should be up here. That that's my most vital possession. That's the thing that nobody gets to touch my time in the presence. That I don't go certain places because that might, that might affect the presence of God living in me. And that might, that might separate me from some things. I'm not going to watch different things. I don't allow different things in my life because I value the presence of God. That I keep it in a place that I can access it consistently because I value the presence of God. Or is the presence of God another thing on the shelf, normally with our Bible, that we access when we get time? Is the presence of God just something, something we go to every now and then? Or is it something that has such vital value in our life that nothing, nothing's gonna take me from it? Nothing's gonna separate me from it? Because there's a difference. So we're gonna look at four different indicators today. Four indicators that maybe we've allowed the presence of God in our lives to become common. We're gonna look at Old Testament stories and handlings of the presence of God because when we look at the Old Testament, what we see is what's taking place spiritually in the New Testament. Okay, it just shadows. This is a physical representation. New Testament is what's taking place spiritually in our lives. So when, where I wanna start is I'm gonna go to Genesis 3. We're gonna read some of these and I'm gonna paraphrase some of these, so, but we're gonna start in Genesis 3. Good work. Okay, very common. We're going to look, and some of these stories are going to be extremely common, and you're like, uh, but I want you to catch what's behind all of these. Okay, so in Genesis 3, this is when the fall of man took place. Up until this point, Adam and Eve walked with God. Adam and Eve talked with God. They literally lived surrounded 
with the presence of God, in the place that God created them to live with everything that they needed, they were in this place connected to the presence of God, okay? Then this day happens. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she also gave to her husband with her. He ate, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord, from among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there and then I'll paraphrase the rest of the story. Okay, what had happened? So I'm gonna give you our first point and then we're gonna talk through this a little bit. So when our desires, when our desires are contradictory to what God said and we act on them, we've compromised the presence in our life. We've allowed it to become common. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I could gather that from the story. But let look, let's look at really what that means in our lives. When we're talking about little desires and little compromises in the word of God, what the enemy told them was, did God really say? Did God really say? She quoted back exactly what God said. The enemy said, no, that's really actually not what he meant. Okay. Anytime that you are arguing theology with the enemy, it's never gonna end up well. Okay, never talk over what God's talking about in the word of God with the enemy. Or let me put it this way. How many times we've read the word of God and go, is that really what he meant? Is that really what he meant when he said that? Am I really not to touch it? Or just a little bit? That seems harsh. That seems like a lot of rules. Is that really what God's word said? Am I really supposed to forgive everyone? Am I really supposed to stay away from this? Am I really supposed to watch what I speak? Am I really supposed to renew my mind to the word of God? Is that what God really meant? Did he really say that? Because as soon as we ask that question, I need us to remind ourselves who actually said that in the Bible. God said, we don't see in the word of God that God ever said, let me explain what I meant. God spoke, it happened, right? God spoke, God said, let there be light, there was light. God spoke and it happened. The enemy said, did God really say? So when we're reading the word of God or we're facing a situation and we go, did, did God really say, will a little bit hurt me? Do we sound like God or do we sound like the enemy? Who's putting those thoughts in our head? And so when the presence of God has become common in our lives, and what happened is as soon as they made the decision and they followed through with that little bit of compromise, what took place in their life is now they're hiding from the very thing that gave them life. 
They're hiding from the very place that they were meant to thrive because one little compromise did God really say, and now I'm hiding from the presence. And if we're honest with ourselves, I wonder how many times we found ourselves compromising the word of God just a little bit to appease our flesh, just a little bit so we feel better, just a little bit so we're accepted. And then we find our place that, I don't, I don't really like going to church. I feel judged. No, you don't. You're hiding from the presence of God. No one judges you there, okay? Or I don't really, I don't know that I have access to God. I don't know that I have access to my relationship with God anymore. You absolutely have access to your relationship with God, but we're hiding from his presence because there was a little bit of compromise, because there was a little bit of, did God really say? Guys, there's a whole lot in the word of God, and if God said it, he meant it. When we see Jesus in the wilderness with, with um, Satan and Satan's tempting him, what does Satan do again? And this is what I find interesting. We don't find many places throughout the rest of the Old Testament and really the entirety of the Bible where Satan tempts somebody with the word of God. We see it happen with Eve and we see it when the presence returns with Jesus. So we see it whenever the presence of God is at work on earth. That's when we see the enemy twist the word of God. We see it happen with Eve. What happened? They were living in the presence of God. And now he's gonna use, did God really say? What? to take the most valuable thing from them, to remove them from the presence of God. And then we really don't see that. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. The presence of God hit earth again, and everybody's about to have access. And what does the enemy do? Tempt him with the word of God. Hey, if you do this, did God really say, is this what he really meant? Because he's using scripture to get Jesus to do something that would forfeit what he was coming to do. Did God really say, what did Jesus say? He did not say, oh, when you told me that, that I should turn this bread into, or this, these stones into bread, here's what God meant by that. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, God said, God said, God said, Jesus didn't give his interpretation of what God said. And he wasn't manipulated by the enemy's interpretation of what God said. He said, God said. So in situations in our lives, if our lives are not lining up with the word of God, and this is not a judgmental message, there was a reason that there's boundaries of the word of God. There's a reason that there was boundaries in the garden because the second that sin entered in, God didn't leave. Guess who was removed from the presence? So a decision of compromise removed Adam and Eve from the presence of God because we serve a holy God. So it wasn't God that said, peace, you're not perfect. It was sin that separated them from the presence of God. Guys, the same thing is true in our lives today. When we allow a little bit of compromise, did God really say? Did he really mean that? It says that my marriage bed should be undefiled. Did he really mean that? Or am I allowed to make up what I think about that? Did he really mean that bad company corrupts good morals? Did he really mean that when my mouth speaks this way, that I'm gonna have whatever I say, did he really mean that what I sow is what I'm gonna reap? Did he really mean? Or am I allowed to justify in order to fulfill my desires? Anywhere in the word of God that we find ourselves justifying in order to appease our flesh, we're gonna have compromise and it's gonna separate us from the word of God. And when we're looking at the presence of God, guys, we're, the end of the end days, and it's a time that we align our lives with the word of God to say, if it's not in here and it doesn't say it, I'm not doing it. I'm not gonna justify what it says so that I can live outside of it. I'm not gonna justify what it says so I can feel better in my situation.
I'm gonna live my life according to the word of God because there's safety in there. And when I'm in there, then I have access to life. I have access to peace. I have access to joy. I have access to, I have access to everything that I need for life and godliness as long as I'm aligning my life up within the boundaries of the word of God. Are we gonna mess up? Absolutely. It says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that's where we can repent and be right back in right standing with God. It's not a 10 step process. It's I repent that I'm out of line here and now I'm back in the presence of God. And the cool thing about the presence of God is it reveals those areas that are gonna keep us from him. And then we're able to see and go, no, that's not gonna be a part of my life anymore. And so we see with Adam and Eve here that there's a simple compromise. Little things make a big difference. And anywhere in our lives that we say, did God really say? And we set ourselves up to be removed from his presence. Did God really say? Let's find out what he really said. All right. My last point on that one is that the enemy is gonna use a surface issue, a surface fleshly appetite so that he can still what is a value. I started this and told you how much I love my snowboard and I told you how much that I value my snowboard, okay? We were snowboarding a few years ago. It was a very sad, dreadful day. And remember my really sad snowboard I told you about? All right, so Chase puts his snowboard inside the little thing while we go in to eat. And we put my little sad board on the outside, right? To protect the value of his really nice snowboard on the inside. We go in, we eat, we come back out. My sad board is remaining on the rack. Chase's really nice board is missing. It got stolen, right? Okay, so they move my little sad board, they take Chase's board, and they put my sad board back. I mean, just thoughts, if you don't wanna lock your board up, buy a cheap one, and then it won't get stolen, okay? But the enemy isn't after the cheap areas of our life. He's after the areas of value. And what did he say? Did God really say? He, he used this piece of fruit. He used some fleshly appetite. He used this simple thing to steal the presence in their life. The enemy is gonna use simple things to steal your marriage. He's gonna use simple things to steal your kids. He's gonna use simple things to steal the presence from your life. He's gonna use simple things to steal your peace. He's gonna use simple things to steal your joy because he's not after cheap things. He is after those things that have value. So if there's something of value in my life, I cannot afford to make little compromises for fleshly things so that I open the door for the enemy to take what matters most. Because why I think I'm just given a little bit over here and it really doesn't matter, I just open the door for him to wreck my life, to wreck my marriage, to wreck my finances, to wreck my kids, to wreck anything that has value in my life. And I open the door through a little compromise. He didn't say, good evening, Eve. I was thinking I'm tired of you being in God's presence because it's a threat to my soul. So if you could just eat this, deliberately disobey God and what he said, I would feel much better about myself. You're doomed for life and the rest of humanity. Is that what happened? 100% that's what happened. All the enemy said was, did God really say? We should move on. Point number two. All right. Point number two. 
when I don't encounter the presence of God for myself, when I don't encounter the presence of God for myself, I will create and worship my own version of God. When I don't encounter the presence of God for myself, I will create and worship my own version of God. And I'm gonna paraphrase this story for time's sake, but this is where the Israelites, okay, they had come out of Egypt. They are in the wilderness at this time. Okay, Moses, and, and here's what happened. God made it available. He wanted access to his people. He wanted people to be able to access his presence. Okay, the whole story throughout the whole Bible is God saying, I don't want you to access my presence so that I can be a control freak. I want you to access my presence because you were created in my presence and that is the only way that you were created to thrive and live. Outside of my presence, you cannot have or be what you need and who you were created to be. It's impossible. So the entire Bible is his story of trying to restore access to his presence, okay? So we get to this part of the story and he's going, Moses, I want my people to access me. I want them to have access to me. And the people say, mm. We like it better, Moses, if you go access God and let us know what he says. We've seen fire and lightning and thunder and crazy things. So we would rather you go hear what God has to say, report back what he has to say. That's what they decided, okay? Moses is gonna be the mediator. So Moses goes up to the mountain and he's there for a long time. The people think, see, it's a good thing we didn't go. Moses is dead because he went to the presence of God. Okay, misconception about presence number one. All right. So Moses goes to the presence. They freak out. They don't have a God. They need a God. It's important to have a God. So they create a God. So they create this image, this golden calf. Okay, but where'd the calf come from? Did you ever get that idea? Like, why a cow? Back in Egypt one of their gods that they would worship was similar to a cow. Okay, so what does this represent in our lives? When I don't encounter God for myself, oftentimes I worship God based on past experiences. So the God that I'm worshiping in my mind is built around experiences that I've had in the past. And then it says they took off everything that they had on and around the people around them. So now it's not only my past experiences of God that I'm worshiping, now I'm worshiping everyone else's experiences of God. We melt that all together. They said, we just melted it and it turned into a calf. That's what they said, not true. But they melted it, they create this image. Okay, they are sacrificing to this image. They are worshiping this image. They are praising this, this image. And the crazy thing is, is it actually says, they said, let us create a God that will go before us. Where's it gonna go? Do you think about that? Like, is a calf gonna like spring up and run away? No, I think it was a cow because they're like, these things always get out. So if we make it a cow, it'll run away and we can chase it forever and follow our God. That was their idea with a calf. But no, here's what they did, is now they're creating and worshiping something that is completely man-made by their experiences of the past, by their current conditions, and with what they want. When we do not encounter the presence of God for ourselves, we will do the same thing because the presence of God reveals who he truly is to us. When we read his word, I know who my God is. When I'm in his presence, I know who my God is because that's revealed to me. But when I only rely on everyone else to encounter God for me, 
when I'm not gonna approach the word, when I'm not gonna approach the presence of God, then the God that I'm worshiping, and it could be today, the God that you came to worship today, this is how real this is. I know none of you brought in a golden calf because I don't see one. If it's in your pocket, keep it there. But you could come in today and have been worshiping a God based on your past experience and what everyone else has built around you. And we wonder why there's no power. We judge them for their golden image, but we do the same thing. I'm too busy to spend time in the presence. I don't have time. As long as I go to church on Sunday, got all I need for the week. But in the meantime, we are building a God that's built on everything but who God is. And we're going through all the right motions and worshiping and praising and sacrificing to something dead. And we'll make sacrifices. We make sacrifices because he, who he was then or who he wasn't. It can be something that I didn't see the healing then, so God's not my healer now. So when I build my version of God, healer isn't included. It could be that maybe, maybe we had a, a father figure that was just awful in our past and everything was performance-oriented, performance-oriented, performance-oriented. So instead of knowing who God is for myself, I base who God is based on who he was. And so now if I don't perform right, I can't worship my God. Do we see all of these creations of God? It matters to encounter the presence of God ourselves because there's so many things that we could be worshiping and it's not who he is. You could be sick and think it's because you sinned. So God smited you. Why, because you were told that once? Is that in the word? Did you ask him? Do we see how dangerous this is? So we can live a life so much short of God's best because we built our own God based on who we think God is, who he should have been, who he wasn't, who he was. And now I'm not serving a living God, I'm serving a made God. And it'll change everything. So that's an indicator that maybe we've compromised the presence is when I refuse to encounter the presence for myself but rely on someone else to do it for me. We see that? Keep going. All right. The second part of that one, this one was two parts. So there's four, kind of a hidden fifth. It's just a bonus. All right. So the second part of this one is then here's what happened. Is now they've made this calf. Moses did in fact return. God didn't eat him on the mountain. So Moses comes back down the mountain. There's this calf that's been created. They said, it appeared. We don't know what happened. We were worshiping. And so they destroy the calf. And then Moses, or here's what God said. God said, you guys go to the promised land. I'm gonna send an angel. Okay, how cool is God? Like, could we question his character when he made a promise that he's taken him to the promised land? They build a golden calf and he could have just like wiped them out in the desert and it would have been fine. But instead he said, I made a promise and I'm gonna fulfill it. And so now he sees that there's still, so he still says, I'm gonna send an angel before you. You can go to the promised land. I'm gonna actually drive out the enemies for you too. You can still go. I'm not going. Here's another indicator that maybe the presence of God has become common in our lives. Are we okay? 
in our lives was settling without the presence of God to receive the answer from God or the promise of God. Do we want the healing more than we want God? What if it was like this? Healing, my presence. Breakthrough, my presence. See, it's never really that choice because here's the thing about our God is everything that we need for life and godliness is in his presence, is in who he is. But we can allow ourselves to think it costs too much to have a relationship with God. It takes too much time. And God, I just really need this answer from you right now. So will we compromise the presence of God in our lives and go get the promise without him? Is that an option? Is it more comfortable? Is it easier that way? Or are we saying there's nothing, not even the answer that'll make me compromise the presence of God in my life because I know that he has everything that I need, that the promise will not bring fulfillment in my life outside of Jesus. We have to see that nothing in the world can bring fulfillment to our lives outside of the presence of Jesus. And so as we're pursuing the presence, if we would recognize, I'm not going if God's not going. If his presence isn't going, I'm not going. Every time I get on this stage to speak, I pray the night before, go, God, I want your presence. If you give me a sermon, that'd be grand. If you don't, I don't want the sermon and not your presence. That'd be a real bad day. And every time I pray that, as long as your presence is there, we have everything that we need to have church. If your presence isn't there, we can't have church. We're having a gathering to talk about golden calves. But instead, we want the presence of God. And so don't let that be an indicator that if all my prayers are surrounded with an answer and not the presence of Jesus, it's an indicator that the presence had become common. All right, let's keep going. Now the real point number three. When we live how we want, but run to God only when there's a battle, it's an indicator that the presence has become common. When we live how we want, but we only run to God, when there's a battle, it's an indicator that the presence has become common. And here's a story. Also, just gonna paraphrase through these. In your notes, you can put 1 Samuel 4 if you would like to go back through and read this story. Okay, this is when Eli was the priest. The Ark of the Covenant was there in the tabernacle and he had two sons. Okay, and the, it actually says in 2.12, it says, he had two sons. They did not know the Lord. Does that blow our minds? He's the priest, like living in the tabernacle where he's supposed to take care of the presence of God. And it says he had two sons and they did not know the Lord. And then you read forward and in verse, or in chapter three, it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. I felt like I was reading about our country right now. Um, because how many of us surround our lives with church stuff? Do our kids know the Lord? Are they walking in a relationship with Jesus? Do they have a personal relationship where they can see right and wrong, where they encounter the presence of God? Do our kids know the Lord? Because here's a priest and he doesn't. Why? Because it was tolerated for them to live however they wanted 
but they had the Ark of the Covenant there. They had the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, these guys were sleeping around, throwing parties, doing everything they were not supposed to be doing at the tabernacle. At, at the place where the presence of God was. How common in our lives does the presence of God have to become when all of these things that are contrary to the word of God are totally legal in our lives and our lives look no different than the world. Our parties look no different. Graduation parties look no different. Weddings look no different. Is there something about those that has some holiness that honors God in our lives? Or is it just like the world because we have God as a backup plan. We can call him when things go south. We'll call our church to pray when things go south, but we don't gotta live like we like him now. We don't have to live in obedience to the word now. And so when we, the uh, indicator is that when we, when we can live however we want, but I can just call and God will come answer my, my prayer when the battle comes. Everybody wants prayer when the battle comes. Nobody wants prayer any other time. You seen the NFL lately? You're welcome. No prayer. Dead man on the field. We should pray. We couldn't pray before the game. But by all means, the man on the field's down, we should maybe pray. Thank God. He's up in Adam, so that's good. Ron's here this morning, so that's good. <laughs> okay, God wants to answer prayer. But here's what he's not. He's not a genie that we pull out of a box when we need him to do something and then put him back. And in this story, what had happened was the Philistines came and they defeated Israel. Israel freaked out. Why did God let this happen? Why did we get defeated? We talk about God. I mean, he's right there in our city. Why did we get defeated? So they said, we should go get the ark and bring it out here. So they go get the ark and they bring it out to the battle because they think, all right, now God showed up. Things are going to change. In reality, they had correct thinking, right? But here's what the enemy knows. He knows that when you acknowledge the omnipresence of God and when you encounter the manifest presence of God, because there's a difference. God is omnipresent. He is all places at all times. And we can acknowledge that constantly in our life, but the enemy knows the difference and he recognizes the authority and the difference when we show up because I just had an encounter with God himself because I live a lifestyle that backs that up because I live out of the overflow of what takes place in that tabernacle inside and outside of it. And because I encounter God, the enemy knows who's on the scene. But when I just acknowledge the omnipresence of God, the enemy can recognize it. When originally the ark showed up, Israel cheered, they went crazy, God showed up, yay team. And it says the Philistines were afraid because they said, oh, we know that God. It's incredible when the enemy has more reverence for our God than we do. And so they, they're backing away, it is no good. Somebody, I don't know who, need to reread the story and study it out a little more, said, be a man and fight. So they did. They defeated the Israelites and took the Ark of the Covenant. The end of the story. Man. So what do we feel like in those moments? God, why didn't you show up? Are we ticked at God in these moments? I prayed you didn't answer. Now this is by no means saying we have to have a lifestyle of perfection. 
What I'm saying is there's a different power and authority when we speak the name of Jesus because we know what we're saying. There's a different power and authority when I show up on the scene to confront the enemy when I know that God has my back, when I know that I've been in his presence, when I know what he said about this situation, things tend to change. But when I just show up and go, hey, I know somebody, you should back away. Do you guys ever get pulled over and go, hey, I know a cop? Were you speeding? It's not gonna get you out of the ticket, right? So we face something we don't wanna face in life when we go, oh, I know God. And the enemy's like, cool story, bro. Act like it. Knowing about him gives us no authority. Knowing him personally gives us authority to overcome anything that we could ever face in life. And it makes a difference. And so that's the, that story there. In Matthew 7, 23, I am gonna read this one because it lines up with that. And then we'll go on to our fourth and final indicator. All right, it says, well, I'm gonna start in 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What's lawlessness? Living outside the boundaries of the word of God. You who know this and you who live outside of it, you know all the right things to say. You're saying all the right things, but there's no relationship. There's no access to the presence. There's no encounter to the presence because you've lived outside of it. So we can't pick and choose when we wanna know God and when we don't. We either decide that I'm gonna live a life that honors the presence of God and puts the presence first, or I'm gonna live a life that is outside of that. But we don't get to pick and choose when we want God to work and when we put him back in his box because God desires relationship with us. He wants to do life with us, not just when we need him, we call him. All right, number four. And this one kind of matches up, but is a little bit different. When we feel like we can carry and handle the presence of God how we wish. When we feel like we can carry and handle the presence of God how we wish. Okay, we don't wanna keep God in a box anymore, so we're one step forward from that. I do want the presence of God with me, but I don't wanna change my lifestyle. I don't wanna change how I'm talking. I don't wanna change how I'm thinking. I don't wanna change my habits. I don't wanna change my addictions. I don't wanna change my friends. I don't wanna change, I don't wanna change any of these things about my life, but I want the presence of God with me. And in case something goes wrong, I know that I can handle both. I can handle the presence and I can handle my circumstance. And here's where we see this story. Let's go to 2 Samuel 6, and we're gonna read through part of this one. Another indicator that the presence has become common when we think that we can handle the life that we wanna live and the presence of God simultaneously and decipher between the two. I can decide how I wanna live here and this is the part that the presence of God gets in my life and if anything gets rocky, I got this, okay? Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went to all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring from there the ark of God, whose name was called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. They didn't use an old one, they got a new one. So they put some effort into this. 
um, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was the one on the hill. Not to be confused with the one not on the hill. Just important detail they threw in there. All right, and Uzzah in Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio was sent before the, the ark. Then David and all those of the house of Israel played music before the Lord, all kinds of instruments of fir, wood, on harps and strings and instruments and tambourines, on sistrums and on cymbals. And when they came to the Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The oxen stumbled, and then he was struck dead. And then he was struck dead. Okay, they are carrying, they are doing a good thing. They are carrying the presence of God back to Israel. They're, they're worshiping. Okay, there's a lot of good things that are happening here. The problem was, that is not how God ever said that the presence of God should be carried. The problem was that the presence of God was to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. And now, inside us, now we're the temple. But how that was designed was never to be carried on a cart. It was never to be carried. And they actually got the idea from the enemy. That guy is really messing stuff up in our stories today. Okay, so they got the idea from him because that's how the Ark of the Covenant was sent back because after the Philistines had stole it, things went south real fast, so they got rid of God, okay? They sent him back. Well, then they go get the Ark. They get the idea from the enemy. We're gonna have oxen. We're gonna put it on this new cart. We're gonna worship. We're gonna bring this back to Israel. Here's the thing. Me, in and of my own strength, can't carry the presence of God how I think best. And they tried carrying the presence of God how they thought best. We're going to put it on what we think is the best way to carry the presence of God. And when the oxen stumbled, it said that he reached out. Again, not a bad thing. But where do we have to be in our lives with the presence of God becoming so common that we think when things go south, that's what needs held up? And so then in our lives, we go, I need... I need to help hold God up in this situation. The ox will be fine, the cart will be fine, but I should hold God up. It's not our job to hold God up in any circumstance. It is our job to carry the presence of God how it was designed to be carried. And the word tells us that we are a temple. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? to glorify God with our body, to glorify. My job is to glorify God in how I live because I carry the presence of God. And when that becomes common, then I decide what goes in and what goes in my life, where I'm gonna be, how I'm gonna live, what my life's gonna look like, and God's just gonna have to deal with it. And when things go south, I'll help hold him up. That's not the part that needs held up in our lives. The cart needed addressed, the oxen needed addressed, the complete obedience to the word of God needed addressed, all of those areas, it wasn't God or the presence of God that fell through in that, in that circumstance. It's not the presence of God that falls through in our circumstances. We need to look at how we're carrying it. We need to look at what we're carrying it on. We need to look at, is my life lining up with what the word says about carrying the presence of God, that there's a reverence, that there's an honor because I promise when things fall apart, it's not the presence of God that falls. We can be separated from the presence of God by our choices. Sin still separates us from God, but that's not the thing that we need to hold up in our lives. And as we wrap this up, I wanna talk just quickly about, okay, so those are indicators of 
how of letting the presence of God become common in our lives. So how do we access the presence of God? Here's the cool thing, and it was really neat how worship played into this as well, but we access the presence of God through worship. In the Old Testament, there was a high priest. He went into the presence of God on our behalf. There was a mediator. There was a veil that separated the holy of holies. Why? Because God is holy. Guys, when we look at the Old Testament and we see the judgment that came from God, sometimes we still feel that way, that he's judging me. He's just judging me. He's going to wipe me out. He's going to, he wiped them out. He's going to wipe us out. Here's what we have to understand. Sin requires judgment. So when he gives us the word, when he gives us the boundaries of his presence, it's not so that we can live a perfect life and never mess up and be robots. When he gives us his presence, when he gives us the boundaries within the word of God, that's because that's the thing that removes us from the judgment of God. That's the thing that removes us and protects us from the judgment that is coming on sin. And so when we dabble and mess with sin, it's the very thing that Jesus came to defeat because it's the thing that requires judgment. God in his nature had to judge sin in the Old Testament. God in his nature will have to judge sin on this earth again. But here's the thing, but Jesus, but Jesus, because Jesus came, we have forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus came, we have atonement for sins. Because Jesus came, I have access to the presence of God. Okay, now we see Jesus on earth, right? So we get to the beginning of the New Testament. We see Jesus operating on earth. Did he tell people, you're not allowed around me? Did he tell people that? Hmm. So everyone has access to the presence of God. It's just whether or not we choose to do so. Everyone has access to the presence of God. Here's the other thing. He didn't say, you who have no sin, come hang out with me. That means we don't have to be perfect to access the presence of God. But here's what it does mean, okay? And we, again, prioritizing the presence. When we see the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, we have the person of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us in the New Testament. Every single one of us has access to the person of the Holy Spirit. We have access to the presence of God through what Jesus did for us. So we have access to his presence. I can encounter God anywhere, anytime. I have access. He is with me always. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. Okay, I have access to who he is. I have access to the presence. Do we see this? Okay. But here's the other thing that I find interesting. In the Old Testament, if you took out all the parts that Jesus played, so there was the priest who, who made the sacrifice on our behalf, right? And then there was the veil that separated, and then there was, um, so that you have your mediator, and they made atonement for sins. All of that is taken care of. But I wonder if our part changed. Our part was still to bring an offering. And you know what the incense of the tabernacle was burning flesh. In the New Testament, it says, walk according to the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I wonder if burning flesh is still the instance of the presence of God. That when I choose that I'm gonna walk in the spirit and I'm gonna set my flesh aside. If it's a fleshly desire, I'm not going there. If it's something that I desire outside of God, I'm not going there. And I'm gonna enter into the presence of God and say, God, you burn up any flesh you need to burn up in my life that is keeping me from you. Because there was a cleansing that took place. And I believe that that is still an incense of the presence of God. That there's gotta be some flesh that's taken care of on our part. That we come in and recognize the reverence that I don't have to be perfect and I can confidently approach your throne because of 
of what Jesus did, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to knowingly approach you and, and it, believe that I get to live how I want and expect your blessing and expect your favor and expect your, your presence to go with me. It's that I'm gonna come as I am, but I need you to show me the areas that need adjusting. A flesh burning incense. So now every time you go to prayer, sniff. Is it burning yet? All right, it says that, you know, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And this is what I love about our God is that every time that I spend time in the presence of God, guys, it moves us into his likeness. It moves us into his image. And every time that I come into the presence of God, there should be some burning flesh because I'm not God, <laughs> which means there's something that's not him in me. I gotta get, let that stuff get burned away. I gotta let that stuff get scraped away. So we should get burned every time we go to the presence of God, all right? We should, we should feel a little bit there that if it's not burning, I'm not accessing the correct way. I need to access the presence of God. All right, I'm gonna have you stand with me.